0: My wife, Cody, and I have run an assisted living home for the last seven years. She inherited from her mother, and while I was initially very unsure about us taking over that kind of responsibility, it actually turned out great. Our 20 tenants have their own bungalows, and we aren't taking care of them directly in any capacity. Our job is mainly maintenance of the property, helping the tenants get in contact with their services that they need, and normal business administration stuff. And having our house next to the property means that we can spend more time together and with our son, Evan. He's going into preschool next year, and having this time with him and each other, well, we're all really close and very happy. And if you'd asked me two months ago how things were going, I would have said everything was pretty great. Back then, in September, my wife had an accident. I got the call while driving through the country, a couple of countries over, The cell service in that area is terrible, and when I looked over at my ringing phone, I saw multiple notifications coming in, with two missed calls being from the woman who was calling me again. I answered immediately, and as soon as she identified herself as a nurse, my heart dropped. Forcing myself to listen past the panicked buzz that was growing in my head, I understood that Cody had been in a car accident and was found unconscious behind the wheel. That she had not yet regained consciousness, but her vitals were otherwise stable, and they were going to be taking her to imaging to see if they could find any signs of injury other than the scrapes and bruises they'd already seen. I'd been heading home, but now I rushed to the hospital. Cody was still in imaging when I got there, so I had to sit anxiously in a small emergency room waiting for them to get finished and give me an update. It's while I was waiting that I thought of my phone again and checked what I'd missed. There were two missed calls from the nurse that had finally reached me, but there were also a pair of text messages that hadn't gone to my phone until I'd driven back into the service area. They were both from Cody. Drove into a ditch, hit a tree. Fucking stupid. I think a tire blew out. About to get out and check the car and then call Rucker. I'm okay, Call in a bit. I love you. I found out later that was originally sent at ten forty nine AM. And then eight minutes later. I think I see me. What did that mean? I was still staring at the messages when the doctor touched me on the shoulder. She said Cody had woken up while they were doing an MRI and that she seemed overall alert. When I asked if I could go back and see her, the doctor gave me an uncomfortable smile. In just a little bit, yes. We... Well, we're doing a more comprehensive examination of her now that she's awake. Seeing if she has any pain and checking her cognitive function. I frowned. But she's okay. Is that just standard? The checking, I mean. Or do you think she has some kind of brain injury? She nodded. Well, those are good questions. We're going to have our radiologist review the MRI and x-rays over the next couple of hours, but for my review, I haven't seen any signs of internal injury yet. The doctor raised her hand. That's not the final word, of course. We're not there yet. But so far, so good on that front. Ah, okay. So what front are we not good on? The doctor's faint smile disappeared. Well, we've been talking to her since she woke up, and she's showing signs of not remembering some things yet. I felt my mouth go dry. Like she doesn't remember the accident? Or like, amnesia? She let out a small sigh. Well, technically, even not remembering the accident might be a form of retrograde amnesia, but yes, more than just that. She knows who she is, her name, her date of birth, where she lives. The doctor shook her head slightly. But other details, where she works, being married. She drifted off as she met my eyes. I'm sorry. I should really wait to get into more detail after we've had longer to check her out. It's just... I know I'd want to know how my spouse was doing, and honestly, while I've seen plenty of literature about amnesia, it's just not very common in real life. Swallowing, I just looked at her for a moment. I tried to process everything she was saying. Are you telling me that she doesn't remember me? The doctor pursed her lips. She doesn't seem to. Not yet but often that's very temporary. But she said she's not badly hurt. She shook her head. No, I said we haven't seen any internal injuries yet. We're still trying to figure out what could have caused her to be unconscious for so long or have amnesia. I felt confused anger bubbling up in my stomach, and even though I knew it wasn't her fault, it was hard to keep it out of my voice. So, you haven't found any reason for her to have amnesia or be blacked out like that. That's what you're really saying. She frowned. Yes. But that doesn't mean there isn't a good reason. And memory loss can occur due to things other than physical... Look at this, please. I held up my phone where Cody's text messages were still on the bottom of my screen. She sent this to me when she had her accident. How is she able to text all that clearly and then black out before whoever found her... Who did find her? Sir, I don't know, but Well, I understand why this seems strange to you But she could have had some kind of delayed reaction or event after the wreck that caused her to lose consciousness And the second tax is very odd, so maybe she was becoming groggy at that point And didn't know what she was saying I stuffed my phone back in my pocket Okay Well, does she remember that we have a little boy? She glanced away. I didn't ask that specifically. Looking back, the doctor gave another sigh. But we did ask generally if she remembered having any children, and she said no. But again, it could be very temporary. Let me go see how her full eval is going, and we'll get you back there in just a little while, okay? I sunk back down into the molded plastic chair I'd been sitting on. Sure, I... Sorry, I'm just upset. She patted me on the shoulder. I understand. We'll know more soon. I was brought back to see Cody an hour later. The nurse I talked to on the phone was one that came and got me, and she explained that my wife was still having memory gaps, so I needed to not overwhelm her at first. No going up and hugging her pushing her to remember things that she couldn't, that kind of thing. Just going in, talking to her a bit, and seeing if that helped break anything loose. It was hard not rushing over to her when I saw her laying there. She was awake and alert. Seemed fine overall, but there was an uneasiness to her gaze as I entered past the curtain barrier that bothered me more than I'd expected given all I'd been told. Taking a couple of steps closer, I stopped and gave her what I hoped was a friendly smile. Cody, do you remember me? She looked at me for several seconds before responding. I'm sorry. I I, I don't. Not really. I can... like they told me you're my husband, and I can see I have this hole in my memory that you would fit, but it's not the same thing as really remembering you. Her eyes widened slightly. I don't say that being mean, or, or because I don't care. I'm sure you're a great husband. She blushed. They say it may take some time for me to remember. Forcing a smile, I shook my head. Don't worry about that. Or anything. We'll get through this. You'll get your memories back, and, well, if you don't, we'll still make new ones. Okay? She returned my smile. That sounds great. Thank you for being so understanding about it. I felt tears come into my eyes. Honey, I'm just glad to talk to you. I... Well, they're checking you out and all, and we'll see if anything else is going on, but... Yeah. I'm just happy you're able to talk to me. Her expression grew a little sad as she nodded before glancing over at the nurse. I'm getting sleepy again now. Is it okay if I sleep? Sure, honey, let me talk to your husband for just a minute, and then I'll come back and check on you. She gently took my elbow and guided me back past the curtain, dividing Cody's bed from the others in the ER. Lowering her voice, she gave me a sympathetic look. No, don't you worry. She really doesn't mean to seem distant. It's all just strange to her right now. Sleep is the best thing for her. I met her gaze. Because she doesn't have a concussion. She gave a shrug. No, that's true. But I've been doing this for a long time. People react all kinds of ways to things. The main thing now is we're going to take good care of her and you need to try not to worry. The nurse pointed back to the doors leading out the waiting room. Go back out and sit for a little bit, or go get something to eat. They're going to transfer her to a room in about an hour, and when they do, I'll come and get you. And if anything changes before then, I'll sure to come let you know. I nodded numbly. Uh, okay, thanks. I walked back out into the waiting room, my thoughts all a jumble. Evan was staying with his grandparents until Friday, and I didn't want to upset them with all this until I knew more, so I decided the best thing to do was to just sit and wait. Going back to the same chair as before, I'd started to search on my phone for information on amnesia when it began to ring. Hello? Hey, this is Jesse with the Ride Wrecking Service. Is this Steve in Miltree? uh, yeah Steve, but yeah Okay, great Well, we picked up a vehicle this morning that has your name on the registration Are you familiar with that? Rubbing my forehead, I nodded Yeah, um Yeah, my wife was driving She had an accident Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Is she doing okay? I felt a sudden urge to tell him all about it. That no, she wasn't doing okay. Not really, because she'd forgotten half her life. That none of this made sense, and the last thing I cared about at the moment was the fucking card he towed. (sighs) Yeah, I just saw her. She's lucky, I guess. He gave a short bark of a laugh. (laughs) Hell, I guess so. What was it? A bear? What? Was what a bear? The man sounded less certain when he responded. Look, I don't mean to make light, and I really am glad she's okay. I just don't know what else could cause damage like that. I could hear blood thrumming in my ears. What damage? My wife... She hit a tree. She blew a tire and hit a tree, that's... That's what she told me. Yeah, there was a blown tire, and I did pull it off of a tree. Broke the grill, dented the bumper, but it didn't look bad. The door and the window on the driver's side, well, it's none of my business, and you'll see it soon enough. And that's actually why I was calling. Do you want us to store the vehicle for now, or is there somewhere you'd like it towed? The daily storage? What about the door? Uh, The window? What happened to them? A long pause, and then... Well, the glass was all busted out, and the door is partway bent. Okay, well, maybe she hit her head and busted the window. Maybe the doctors are just missing that, and she hasn't... No, sir. It was busted in, not out. There was glass all over the inside from that window being busted, plus the door, the inside of it, was all ripped up. Something was trying to get in through that window, and it was strong enough to do all that. That's why I said bear. I was only half joking. Another pause, and then... Did she get bit or anything? I found myself staring back at the emergency room doors as though I could see through them to Cody if I looked hard enough. I... don't think so. But I don't really understand what's going on yet. I got you. Look, I'll store the car tonight and tomorrow. No charge. When you get ready, you call me back and we can go from there. Uh. Okay. Um, Thanks. No problem. Hey, man, I, I really do hope your wife is okay. I felt something twisting deep in my belly as I stared in what I thought was her direction. Yeah. Me too. The next two days seemed like a bad dream, somehow moving agonizingly slow and too fast all at once. I wanted Cody to be okay, to be back to herself, but I also wanted there to be something wrong that they could identify and fix. I felt guilty at that, even though I knew it was because I wanted Cody to be okay and as she was, and I didn't see a clear path to that without some idea of what was behind her memory loss. Except it wasn't just that, was it? It was the call from the man at the record service, with his talk of bears and broken glass. I called him back the next day to tell him to keep storing the car and so I could set up a time to go by and get anything valuable out of it, but I had to leave a voicemail. I was somewhat relieved as I dreaded the idea of talking to him again, of him telling me more things that made me worry or doubt that I really understood what was going on. That I could trust what was going on. That I could trust her. It was a strange and uncomfortable thought. I trusted her more than anyone, and yet the hours I'd spent with her in the hospital... wasn't that she was unpleasant or unkind. Just the opposite. While she did still seem somewhat distant, she was also eager to have me visit and spend time with her. The doctor had told me to go easy on giving her too much detail beyond the basics... She said that with some people suffering from amnesia and overload of new information caused high anxiety or made them feel pressure to pretend to remember things they didn't to please their family or the doctors treating them. Just spend time with her. Answer any direct questions she has honestly, but without too much elaboration. And if she presses, just remind her that we want the memories to come back on their own for the most part. Spurring those memories is one thing recreating them based on your perspective and recollection is another. Does that make sense? I nodded that it did, and I tried to stick to that when I was with Cody in the hospital. She learned from someone about our son, and so that was a big focus of her questions, but she was also asking about our extended family. I told her that her mother had passed away seven years earlier, and her father had died when she was a child that my parents had Evan for the week, and we had just been updated on what was going on, though I hadn't mentioned anything to them about her amnesia yet. Just that she was okay after a car accident, and was still recovering in the hospital. But, by the second day, Cody had grown impatient in her hunger for more information. She was peppering me with constant questions, random stuff, Some of it was about me and her, or Evan, or something else that made sense she'd want to know after losing her memory, but a lot of it was random stuff that didn't seem like a big concern at the time. What was her social security number? What did she do in her job? How long had she worked there? What city was she born in? What was her favorite color? After a while, I started laughing. She quirked an eyebrow at me. What's funny? I shook my head. I don't know. Nothing, I guess. I just feel like I'm on a quiz show about you. Or like I forgot your password and I'm trying to give the answers to the questions they give to reset it. She gave me a slight frown. I just... This is really scary for me, okay? You can't imagine what it's like to have something just... Swallow you up. I don't want to feel like this anymore. Don't you want me to get better? I tried to hide my irritation. Of course I do. That's not fair. And while no, I don't know exactly what you're going through, I know it has to be hard. And I want to do whatever it takes to make it better. That's why they're still doing tests and monitoring you. Cody rolled her eyes. And that's another thing. I'm ready to get out of here and go home, get our child, and start living our life again. I've always heard that people remember better when they're in a familiar setting, right? I stared at her uncertainly. Uh, yeah, maybe, but I think they just want to make sure they aren't missing something that could hurt you down the line. I think they're good doctors and nurses, and they're trying to help. We all are. Her lips thinned as she gave me a small nod. I know. I think I'm just tired. Can you give me some time to sleep and come back later? Yeah, sure. I have some stuff I need to take care of anyway. I'll be back this afternoon. This is Jesse. Hey, Jesse, this is Steve Miltree. You've got my wife's car? I thought his tone changed when he spoke next, but maybe it was my imagination. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Miltree. I got your message. Got your car locked up in one of the garages, safe and sound. Whenever you want to come get stuff out, the car is fine with me. I didn't take anything out, but I saw some stuff you'll want to get. Oh, like what? Uh, cell phone, driver's license, what I'm guessing is your wife's purse, that kind of thing. Did you go into my wife's purse and check her license? Jesse sounded surprised and slightly offended. What? No, I wouldn't do that. It was in the passenger flipboard by itself, partway under the seat, and I never touched it, but I saw enough to know what it was. purse was in the backseat floor, I think, and I never went in it. Oh, sorry, I, I just don't know why she'd have it all out is all. Anyway, yeah, can can I get with that stuff now? Sure, I'll be here all afternoon unless I get called out. Jesse Hartman looked younger in person than he sounded on the phone. His hair was already thinning on the top, but he had a baby face and was quick to smile when I came into his office. You Steve? I returned his smile awkwardly. Yeah, that's me. And hey, I-, I was thinking about on the way over here. I'm sorry again about how I acted on the phone. I-, I wasn't trying to accuse you of messing with her purse. He waved his hand as he stood back up and came around the counter toward me. Ah, oh, man, I get it. None to worry about. Come on back. He patted my arm as he moved past to a rear door leading out into a large fenced yard, housing three rows of cars. Beyond that, there were two outbuildings, one small and the other much larger. Jesse gestured toward the buildings. Yours is in the big one. We use it for extra security on some vehicles. I think at one time the boss was going to use it as a working garage. I had the idea to run a full mechanic shop. Shot me a grin. Don't think it worked out, though. We piddle some in the small garage, but mainly just to keep our trucks running. Oh, so you don't own this place? He shook his head as we reached the rolling door. Me? Nah. Only been over here a year. Guy that owns it doesn't come in much anymore. And that other fella he had working for him. Jesse paused, seemed to consider something before looking back at me. Has your wife said anything about the first guy we sent out? I thought you towed the car. He shrugged. I did. Uh, But I wasn't the first person sent out. Robbie. He's the other guy, the old man he has working for him. He took the call originally, but I could never get a hold of him after that. Never answered my call or text to tell me he'd found the customer. Your wife. And, well, Robbie has a problem with booze. Not a bad guy, but he isn't reliable, so when I couldn't get him in a few minutes, I took the other truck out and went out there by myself. By then, your wife was gone. I think someone driving by had seen her and called 911, but I can't say for sure. And I don't know that Robbie ever even made it out there. He wasn't there when I got there, and neither was the truck. And it's not unheard of that he might drop off for a day or two, but not more than that, especially when he has one of the trucks. So I just... I'm starting to go from irritated to worried, you know. Jesse gave a short laugh. (laughs) Sorry. Here I am bothering you with this and you're just here to get your stuff. I shook my head. No, I, I get it. I... I don't know. She hasn't said anything about the accident except for some text I got at the time, but she doesn't mention a tow truck or the Robbie guy or anything. Jesse nodded as he pushed the door. Well, he'll turn up, probably sleeping it off somewhere. He gestured to the car in the building. There it is. I felt my chest tighten as I looked at it. He hadn't been exaggerating. The front of the car looked fairly intact other than the broken grille and a small bend in the bumper, but the driver's side door, the window was not only broken out, but that part of the door had been bent out of shape as though something too large to fit had been shoving its way inside. Jesus. Jesse made a small clucking sound in the back of his throat. Yeah. That's what I was saying. I don't know what does that. Door won't work, but the passenger side's fine. I glanced at his strange expression and then went closer to the car, examining the brown-black trails running thick down the outside of the door. Is... Is that blood? No. I wondered at first too, but it isn't blood. Think it might be mud. Looking inside the car, I saw the broken glass and small specks of red that might actually be blood, but there were more black smears of mud mixed in with the tracks of ruined plastic and leather, where something had torn the inside of the door and parts of the driver's seat apart. I took a step back, trying to catch my breath. I... I don't understand any of this. I heard a sigh behind me. I don't either. But, I don't know. I looked back at him. What? What do you know? He shrugged. Nothing, man. Just reminds me of some weird shit I've seen, but I don't really know anything. I thought about pressing him on the point, but how could I? I didn't feel like he was lying to me, and even if he was, how could I get him to say more? So I watched as he turned and started back to the office, and then I started going through the car. I found the purse, and laying between the passenger seat and the door was Cody's phone, which was dead after several days. And just as the man had said, there was her driver's license peeking out from under the seat in the floorboard. I could see her smiling face looking past me. A past her that was happy and safe. Didn't know about the strangeness that was ahead of her. There was more of that black stain across the bottom of the photo and I almost wiped it away when I realized what it was. A fingerprint. Something stopped me then. And I stayed frozen. Hunched over in the doorway of the car, holding the license gingerly by its edges as I decided what to do. Why did this feel important? Like I was preserving evidence from a crime scene. Because maybe it was. What if Cody was attacked, either by Robbie or somebody else? This could be proof of that, and I couldn't risk destroying evidence. Swallowing, I looked around for somewhere to put the license without disturbing the fingerprint there, I finally settled on breaking off the plastic lid of some baby wipes she kept in the back seat. It wasn't great, but after I dried the lid on my pants, it should be a decent place to keep the license until I could get a hold to a proper box or something. Feeling both scared and stupid, I headed back up to the office, holding her purse and phone in one hand and the lid of the wipes with the license in the other. When I went in, Jesse was gone. I still wanted to press him for anything else he might know, but it wasn't like I still didn't have the car there. I could always make the excuse to question him again when I called to check on that. I was halfway back to the hospital, when the same nurse that had first called me called again. What is it? Is something wrong? Her voice was odd, different than her normal kind and positive tone. No, nothing like that. I just... Well, your wife has demanded to be discharged. We've convinced her to wait until tomorrow, but we're starting to process the paperwork now. Discharged? Why? There was a pause. She said she remembers much more now. She remembers you and more of her life, and she wants to go home. We can't keep her against her will. Okay, um, maybe that's good news, right? I'll be back there in just a few minutes. Okay, I'll I'll see if I can talk to her and find out what's going on. Sure, I just look. I want to ask you a couple things before you get back. Is that all right? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, when she first woke up, your wife said that her home address is 157 Albridge Drive. But our records from when she had her baby here three years ago shows 201 Benton Lane. Have you moved since then? I gave a relieved laugh. (laughs) Is that all? No, we lived at Benton for seven years. Since our mother died and Cody inherited her house. But before that, our house was 157 Albridge. For the first few years, we still keep our old house as a fallback. Still got our mail there, even. We didn't sell it until we had the baby, so maybe she's just remembering the old house because we used to live there. Another pause. Maybe so. It just seemed strange, and I wanted you to know. See you when you get here. And then she was gone. I felt... A small chill run up my back. Except it was our old house. If she remembered living there, why didn't she remember me? From back then, at least. I pushed back against the thoughts crawling into my brain. No, that was dumb. How else would she know that address except she remembered it? And I don't know how amnesia really worked, and I certainly didn't know what all she'd been through that day. I glanced over at her driver's license, smudged with that dark print, some relic of the terrible mystery that had invaded our lives, and then my breath caught in my throat. The license was five years old and up for renewal this year. My eyes shifted from the expiration date up to the information above. Her name, date of birth, but also her mailing address. Five years ago. 157 Albrecht Drive. You don't think I see who you really are. And I do. I'd gone back and tried to talk her out of leaving the hospital but it was no use. She wasn't rude or angry about it, just firm. She felt like she had given them enough time to do whatever tests they needed to do, and she remembered enough of her life that she was ready to go back to it and remember the rest. I told her I understood, and I did, but I also held back some of my own doubts and worries. Not just about her memory, but... Is she really your wife? How leaving before we had answers might lead to more problems down the line not just for her but for me and Evan what if you let a stranger and invader into your life into your son's life she acted different with Evan and he didn't understand why obviously she couldn't stay there forever but what a few more days to give them me more time to figure out things be so bad but I couldn't say that to any of her not now And especially not when what I was thinking was so impossible and insane. How could it not be her? What would that even look like? Some kind of body snatcher got her? She was possessed or a clone or something? That wasn't the way real life worked. She had trauma from all this. Hell, maybe I did too. It was making us act weird while we got past it. Nothing mysterious or terrible. Just... People getting hurt and trying to get back to normal. So I smiled back at her. I Hope you do. I hope you know how much I love you, and I've only encouraged you to stay longer in the hospital because I want to make sure you're okay. She nodded. I understand that. I do. But I feel fine physically, and I really am remembering more every day. I think you being here helps a lot, and... Being home with you and Evan will help even more. I felt my heart speed up a little when she mentioned him, and I tried to ignore it. Uh, So, do you remember him yet? She pushed hair behind her ear as she leaned forward on the bed with a concentrated frown. Maybe a little? It's kind of like it was with you at first. I can see the place where he would be, but I I just can't seem to see him yet. I nodded slowly. But do you remember me now? Like, not just since we've been in the hospital or things from you've been told, but you remember independent memories from before. Her eyes hardened slightly. I told you I did. That it's slippery still, but I do remember some, or don't you believe me? Sitting the paperwork down, I forced myself to go sit next to her on the bed and put my arm around her. No, I do. I just... I don't want you pushing yourself too hard. It may take time, and that's perfectly okay. Cody leaned against my chest and put her hand on my leg. That's sweet, but I'm tougher than I look. She looked up at me. Now, let's go home. Giving her a light squeeze, I stood back up. Yeah, let me tell the nurse and get the car. I think they're going to make you ride the wheelchair out the front, even though you can walk. I gave her a parting wave as I headed out of the room. It wasn't until I was in the small waiting room that led to the elevators that I stopped to catch my breath. What was wrong with me? Why was my skin crawling from her being near me? Why was I still scared? Home sweet home. I tried to sound cheerful as we pulled into the driveway, and for the next hour or so, things were so busy that I forgot to be anxious or scared. I took her on a tour of the house, showed her some of her things, and when we were done, she asked for some time to take a nap. I surprised myself by being a little disappointed when I shut the door to the bedroom and went back downstairs to eat lunch alone. Maybe I really was just being weird about everything. She seemed more herself now, didn't she? And didn't being in a hospital, especially when you were the patient, make people weird and stressed? Besides, she wasn't even being unreasonable, was she? When I suggested we give her a couple of days at home before Evan came back, she agreed that would be the best. She even joked that she didn't want to freak him out by being weird. That sounded like Cody, didn't it? Sitting by myself, slowly chewing a sandwich, I made up my mind and set all my irrational doubts and fears aside. She was the one going through all this, not me. And she was the one being strong and reasonable while I wasted time and energy on what? Bullshit, that's what. And it was time that I focused on her. So... That's exactly what I did. Over the next day and a half, I spent most of my time with her. It was weird at first, but it got easier and more normal over time. My weird worries started circling back to my original relief and gratitude that she was okay, and the idea that I had ever doubted that she was my wife seemed increasingly silly and strange. That third day home, we spent the morning cleaning up before Evan arrived in the afternoon. We were tired when we sat down. And I felt relieved that things felt closer to normal than they had since I first got the call from the hospital. Maybe remembering that day is what made me think about what Jesse had said when I'd gone to go get stuff out of the car. Remember the car itself and the license I'd found. A license that, despite all my claims to be past my concerns, I still had hidden in my trunk. hadn't mentioned to Cody. Maybe I just asked what I did out of curiosity. Or maybe my worries weren't quite as dead as I wanted them to be. So, uh, do you remember a guy from the wrecker service coming out to help you when you wrecked? Cody had been idly flipping channels, but I felt her tense next to me as she sat the remote down. No. I told you I don't remember any of that. Why? I shrugged, trying to sound casual. No real reason, I just... The record guy I've been dealing with, he said that another guy, Ronnie or Robbie or something, had answered the call first. So? Maybe he did. What does it matter? They got the car, didn't they? I forced a laugh. (laughs) Yeah, they did. It's just... The first guy never called back or came in back to work, and the Jesse guy I've talked to had to be the one to go and get it. Cody sat quiet for several moments before giving a small grunt. Hmm, that's weird. But no, I don't remember. She stood up and started walking to the stairs. I have some more to do upstairs to get Evan's room ready before they get here. Why don't you go get the car back? Or get it towed somewhere that they can start fixing it at least? I... Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I can. That's a good idea. But is it a huge rush to do it today? The doctor said you don't need to drive until your follow-up in a couple of weeks. I can always get it taken somewhere tomorrow. She turned back with a frown. No, go ahead. Do it if you don't mind. I don't like the idea of those people having my car. I'm pretty sure they already stole my license. Her eyes fixed on mine. You haven't seen it, have you? I swallowed. A new tendril of fear uncoiling in my belly. Uh, license? (laughs) Like a driver's license? No, honey. I... wasn't it in your purse? Cody shook her head. Nope, afraid not. She held my gaze for a moment longer and headed for the stairs. See you when you get back. The door was locked at Wright's wrecker, but Jesse answered on the second knock. He looked both surprised and relieved when he saw it was me, ushering me in before closing the door back and locking it behind us. I glanced between the door and him. You closed? I can always come back later. He's already waving me down into a chair. Ah, just doing some inventory and tax stuff today while it's quiet. Appreciate the break. Damn stuff makes my eyes bleed. I grinned. (laughs) I understand. Um, It won't take long, I'm afraid. I just wanted to pay off the car's bill and get it towed over to the dealership so they can work on it. Sure, sure. He trailed off as he started looking through papers on his desk. That's like he was looking for something specific to give a mild impression that he was. How things been going with your wife? Everything alright? His tone and wording were weird. Not how's your wife, but how's things been going with her? And was everything okay? I started to lie, but then I stopped myself. I don't know. Okay, I guess. But it's weird. She's weird. I know it's got to just be the accident, but it feels like she's a different person sometimes. Jessie's eyes snapped up to mine. Different now. I don't know. Weird. Kind of cold, like she's faking it or something. Which, she has amnesia, so hell, maybe she is. Who could blame her? The other man's expression deepened into a frown as I spoke. Steve, I... I wasn't entirely honest with you the other day. About what? Well, when I said, I don't know anything about what might have happened to your wife in her car. I felt anger flaring in my chest. What the fuck, man? Why didn't you tell me? I started to rise from the chair. Is this about Robbie? Did he do something to.? Jesse's eyes widened in surprise. Robbie? Fuck, man. No, I, I mean. Not that I know of. Still haven't heard from him. The old man is planning on taking a warrant out for theft if the truck isn't back by the end of the week. Just calm down. Alright, calm down and sit. I sat back down in the chair, my body rigid with anger. Just tell me what you know. Now, Jesus, listen, I said what might have happened. Let me be real clear. I don't actually know what happened with your wife, but seeing all this, it did remind me of something that happened to my sister's kid a few years back. I almost said something about it the other day, but it sounded crazy and I was embarrassed. He sighed. And I've been guilty since. So no doubt you'll think I'm just a nut or an asshole wasting your time with made-up bullshit, but if you have a few minutes, I'd like to tell you about my nephew, Cooper. Okay. What about him? About how he died when he was 20. And he looked like a little dried-up old man. My sister said the doctors called it Werner's Syndrome. I remember it because it sounded German, like something they would have in a movie where some Nazi scientist cooked up something evil. And What it did was evil enough. When Cooper was 18, he looked totally normal, healthy. Never had any real health problems his whole life, and back then I lived close enough that I saw him every week or two. Then all of a sudden, he started changing. He was stooped over, gave out a breath easily. He looked worn down all the time. Then his hair started turning gray and his first tooth fell out. They were already getting him checked by then, of course. At first they thought it was cancer, but it wasn't. And I don't think it was that syndrome either. That was just the doctors trying to put a name on something they didn't understand. Either way, it didn't matter. My sister watched as her baby got eaten up in less than three years. I was there when he died in hospice. He was the last of them to go. I blinked. Last of them? Jesse gave me a ghastly, joyless grin. Oh yeah. It wasn't just him, it was happening to was also his two best friends, same fucking age, same fucking deal. They all aged 80 years in two or three. They all went crazy before the end. He sighed. Or at least so they say. wasn't sure how to react. I didn't think he was lying to me, but even if it was all true, why was he telling it? Still, if it helped me understand what was going on in the end, I needed to keep him talking. So, you don't think he went crazy? He shrugged and rubbed his face. Hell, I don't know. I know they all got real strange, but who the fuck wouldn't go through something like that? Seeing your life disappear in front of you when you're still a kid? Jesse shook his head. And I know that one of his friends, one of the other two that were dying from whatever it was, wrote a story about it. When her family figured out she'd posted it on the internet and words got around, well, my sister lost it. She was out of her mind with grief already, and she felt like the friend's story was making light of it or would upset Cooper or... I don't know. Just made things worse for all of them, I guess. But the story, was it true or not? Jesse let out a loud laugh. Fuck, man, I don't know. I don't know about all of it. Some of it was weird. Ritual with some stupid name, and you know, that typical internet ghost story bullshit the kids are into now. He stopped laughing and his eyes looked wary and afraid. But I know at least parts of it were true. I stared at him. How? He leaned back in his chair and looked at the ceiling. Because I saw them that morning. The morning after. The night they talk about the story. I was working as a mechanic at a gas station at the time at about 6 or 7. Right after I got there myself, Cooper and his two friends come rolling up in my mom's old Camry. When he looked at me now, his expression was haunted. They were all terrified. Like shaking crying like they were all filthy and stunk. I wanted to call the cops. Cooper said it was okay. That they were okay. They just need help cleaning up the car before they went home, and my sister saw it. Jesse let out a long breath. Those kids and the car. They'd pissed and shit in there. I asked them how and why, but they said they couldn't remember. That wasn't the worst part of it. It was the mud. A thick dark mud that somehow stunk worse than the rest I spent an hour spraying and vacuuming that car out with them helping me we got rid of most of it but I could still smell it when we were you think it's like the mud in Cody's car I didn't want him to stop talking but I couldn't help but ask I didn't know what to make of any of this but the more he talked the more afraid I was growing is that it he nodded That's part of it, yeah. When I got to the car, the mud was still fresh, and I recognized that smell right away. That and the other stuff from the story. Seeing your wife's car, Jesse trailed off for a moment. Coop made me promise to never tell his mom about that morning, and I kept that promise. Almost broke it about a hundred times, but they all seemed fine after that first. And then when they started getting sick and aging wrong, people were talking about cancer and German syndromes, not cars filled with stinking dirt and shit. It felt like bringing it up would just cause more problems without helping anything. Jesse wiped at his eyes and looked away. By the time the story came out, it was too late. It wasn't long after that the first of them died. With a couple of months, they were all gone. I puffed out a breath. I'm so sorry. God. We sat silent for a few moments when another question came to me. Did the story talk about imposters and, like, fake people or anything? My stomach twisted as I realized I wasn't embarrassed asking that question anymore. Jesse waggled his hand to the side. Kinda, maybe. He was real bizarre. I think he talked about things climbing into the kids and... people coming out. People that weren't really people. Shit, I... I I didn't believe it at the time. I still don't, I guess, but... I don't know. Seeing your wife's car was kinda like seeing a ghost. your nephew ever tell you more about what happened to them before you saw them that morning? Jesse shook his head. No. If you ever talked to anyone about it, it must have been one of those other poor kids. He grunted. Well, I guess that's not true. I found a note he'd written under his pillow when he died. It was a line from his friend's story. Do you remember it? Yeah. It upset my sister so much, I don't think I could ever forget it. His face looked troubled as he uttered the words. There is only one of us. I was getting back in the car when I got a call from Cody's number. I barely had time to answer before my wife's voice was talking to me excitedly. Where are you? I'm just leaving the towing place. Are you okay? I'm way better than just okay. You need to get home soon. I frowned as I cranked up the car. Why? What's going on? They got here early. Our baby's home. I sped all the way home, and once I got there, I fought to keep from running into the house. I had to act normal, whether there was something wrong or not. And what real evidence did I have that anything was wrong? A creepy story from a tow truck driver and a muddy fingerprint that was possibly my wife's? I gave my head a small shake as I unlocked the front door. i to get my shit together and act like everything was fine unless, and until, I was sure it wasn't. Walking into the house, I heard my parents and Cody talking in the living room. Their voices sounded relaxed, cheerful, and I felt myself calm down a little as I stepped around the corner and said hello. My parents were sitting on the sofa, and Cody was in one of the recliners nearby while Evan was sitting on the floor playing with a group of robot action figures, his face drawn down into a concentrated frown. When he looked up and saw me, his face lit up, and he ran over to give me a big hug. Hey, buddy. We sure have missed you. I pulled back and gave him a grin. Did you have a good time with Granny and Grandpa? He nodded back and looked like he was about to say something when Mom spoke up. We loved having him. Took him to see Todd's horses down the road and he loved it. Another week and we would have bought him a pony. I laughed and gave Evan a playful frown. You know, when I was growing up, I wanted a horse, but they always told me no. Looks like you got him where you want him. He smiled slightly, but it didn't last but a moment. My frown turned more genuine. You okay? Feeling okay? Cody spoke up. He's probably hungry. I'll go fix us some lunch. Dad stood up and offered to help her, and a moment later they were gone in the direction of the kitchen. I glanced at Mom and then at Evan. Go play with your bots for a minute up in your room, okay? I want to talk to you, grandma. I'll get you when your lunch is ready. He looked at me uncertainly for a moment, and then he grabbed up his toys and left. I saw Mom's confused expression, but I waited until I felt like Evan was out of earshot before I went over and spoke to her in a quiet voice. Sorry, I just want to talk to you about Cody for a second. She frowned and gave a slow nod. Okay, is everything all right? Doctors haven't found something bad, have they? I shook my head. No, it's 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 nothing like that. They just they still don't have any real answers. But nothing bad has come up. I sighed. I just. How does she seem to you and Dad? Does she seem like herself? Her frown deepened as she seemed to ponder the question. Well, I mean, she told us about the amnesia, which you should have told us that already, by the way, but I think you understand why you didn't. She said she remembers us, but it's spotty. And I mean, sure, she seems a bit different. Quieter, more reserved, probably. But isn't that to be expected, given everything? I nodded. Yeah, sure. You're right. Of course you are. <laughs> Pausing, I tried to stop myself from asking the next question, but I couldn't help it. But but I mean, it seems like her, doesn't it? She quirked an eyebrow at me. Listen, I know this is hard on you too, but you need to be supportive of her, okay? Maybe she's not exactly like she was, but think of all that she's been through, and is still going through. I can imagine how scary losing your memory like that must be. Mom jabbed a finger at me. But you need to suck it up and be strong for her. Patient. In time, she'll come back to herself more, but you have to let it happen on her terms. I mean, yeah, uh, of course. It's not really what I... Lunch is almost ready. I looked up to see Cody leaning in the doorway. Had she heard what we were saying? She did, her face didn't show it, and she seemed preoccupied looking around. Where's Evan? Swallowing, I gave her a smile. Up in his room, playing. I'll go get him. She was still watching me as I stood up and headed into the hall, but by the time I made it to the stairs, she was back talking to Mom about lunch. Normal stuff. Everything seemed normal. Normal. Except for me. When I went to Evan's room, I saw he was curled up on the bed, staring out into the hall. His eyes widened as I came in, and before I could get out that it was time for lunch, he was off the bed and back to me, hugging me again. Hey, sweetie. It's good to see you two. They've got lunch ready downstairs. Let's go on down. He looked up at me, his face crumpling a little. I don't want to. Huh? Why not? It's not right. Pulling him back a little bit more, I studied his face, trying to understand what he meant. What's not right, Evan? His lip trembled slightly. Mommy, she doesn't smell right. I convinced my parents to stay a few more days to visit and help out, and while Cody didn't seem happy about it, she didn't overly complain either. I didn't say anything else to mom or dad about my concerns, but I did stress to them that I didn't want Evan left alone with her, as I did not want her tiring herself out. They agreed, and for the next couple of days, everything was, well, if not normal, at least fairly calm and quiet. Cody got along with my parents as well or better than she ever had, and while Evan was still very standoffish with her, she never commented on it or tried to force the issue. For my part, I kept trying to let my strange worries go, but I just couldn't. I tried to tell myself it was just the mystery of the accident and the stress of everything that had followed, and that if I could get more answers, I'd be satisfied and able to move on. Cody went to her first follow-up exam, and everything went fine. They did more blood work and another MRI, but it'd be a few more days before we heard anything new from the medical side of things. And that left the accident itself. I started wondering if there had been any type of police investigation of the accident, or even the missing Robbie. I didn't want to let Cody know I was still asking questions, so I called around myself. And the best I could find was a state trooper's accident report, which didn't go into any detail I didn't already know. I tried to ask about the Robbie guy, but I didn't even have a last name, and I could already tell they weren't willing to give out random information to whoever, if he'd ever been reported missing in the first place. So, out of other options, I slipped out to my car and called Jesse again. Hey, Jesse. Steve Miltry. Oh, yeah. Hey, Steve. You, uh, got a minute to talk? His voice sounded slightly weary when he answered. Uh, Yeah, sure. What's up? Did that Robbie guy ever show up again? I'd just like to talk to him if he did. No. He never did. In fact, the old man went yesterday and swore out a warrant for him for taking the truck. Maybe the cops can find him. He let out a sigh. Yeah, maybe. I just... I wanted to find out more what happened there, you know? I don't think the cops really investigated anything. I thought about carrying this fingerprint, you know, the one I found on the license. I thought about giving it to the cops to see if they could see if it was my wife's or someone else was out there too, but I don't know. There was a moment of quiet on the line, and then Jesse finally spoke. I may can get someone to check that out for you at least. Huh? Yeah, I mean, working the record, you get to know cops, right? I got a few on buddies with. I can probably get one of them to check it out if you want. Really? That, That would be awesome. Thanks, man. Really. Sure, man. Let me ask around. I'll let you know what they tell me. I really appreciate this. Just text me when you find out, and I'll call back as soon as I can. I noticed he didn't question why, but I tried to let it go as I hung up, and snuck back into the house. An hour later, he texted, and when I called back, he told me the woman he was giving it to needed a license and, ideally, a sample print from Cody. His voice sounded tense at this last one. If you can't do that, it's cool. She said she can look up her prints from the driver's license database. Just a clean, confirmed sample on a glass or something. It's better to double-check everything. But only if you think it's if you're comfortable with that. Uh, yeah. I can try. I'll I'll, I'll bring you the stuff tomorrow. It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. I made it a point of clearing away the dishes that night. Having watched Cody handle her drink glass for over half an hour. Quietly sticking it out of a plastic bag and setting it up on a high shelf. I snuck it out the next day on a trip to run errands. The main errand, of course, being dropping off the glass and license to Jesse. When I got back to the house, I noticed my parents' car was gone. Going inside, I found Cody and Evan sitting together working on a jigsaw puzzle at the kitchen table. He didn't even look up when I entered, but she gave me a smile. Did you get your stuff done? I blinked. Uh, yeah. Mostly. She frowned slightly. What were you out doing again? Turning away from her gaze, I pretended I needed to wash my hands at the sink. Oh, just drop off some checks in the mail and go by the office to pick up some stuff. Nothing too big. I tried to keep my voice even. So, where are Mom and Dad? She let out a soft chuckle behind me. <laughs> they went home. I told them I was ready for it to be just the three of us again, and they agreed. It was so sweet of them to come and stay like they did. I told them that, too. I turned back around, leaning against the sink. Yeah, I mean, it was. But are you sure you're ready to not have extra help and company? Might help you remember more, too. She gave a shrug. I remember the important stuff already. Reaching over, she wiped a lock of hair off Evan's forehead as he studied and turned a puzzle piece. My surprise he didn't recoil or even look up. And I've got my family to help me remember. I nodded. Sure, but why did they leave so fast? They couldn't wait until I got back to go. Your dad said it would be dark if they didn't get on ahead and leave. And it did take you a while. Her eyes widened slightly. Hey, you haven't seen my glass from last night, have you? Swallowing, I shook my head. Uh, no, it's probably in the sink or the dishwasher. Cody glanced at the sink and back to me. No, I washed some stuff this morning and it wasn't there. There are four glasses we used last night. We're all the same. Now there's only three of them. She just stared at me, letting the words hang between us like a shading snake or an overhead bow. I. uh, I don't know. Maybe one of them washed it by hand and put it away? I forced a laugh. (laughs) Or they broke it and were embarrassed. But I mean, it doesn't matter, does it? She smiled at me. Doesn't matter to me if it doesn't to you. The days crawled by, but every day seemed slightly more normal. I went back to working full-time, and a few days later, so did Cody. Time passed, and the longer things went without anyone else having some issue with Cody, the more embarrassed I felt that I'd spent so much time and energy doubting my wife. Even Evan, who had seemed so skittish around her at first, had swiftly shifted to clinging to her most of the time. He'd always been his mother's baby in a lot of ways, but it was even more obvious now. He would talk to me and play with me, some if I made him, but for the most part he just wanted to be close to her, and it was rare that he was ever out of Cody's sight. Still, I wrote this off as them rebonding after a time apart and trauma, nothing nefarious or strange about it in the least. When my phone rang one morning, I felt my stomach twist as I recognized the number. Glancing around my empty office as though I was committing a crime, I answered the call. Hey, Jesse. Uh, hey. I, well, I got some information for you. Some stuff you'll want to hear. I... I felt my palm sweating against the back of my phone. Okay, go ahead. Well, uh, I need the detective that checked those prints to explain it. Can you meet us for lunch today? The air seemed thin in my lungs. I, uh, I got a lot going on today. Can, Can you just tell me? Steve, I don't want to tell you wrong, and I feel you may need to know what she has to say. Can you meet us? Sure. Yeah, sure. I will. Detective Marissa Summers had a kind, intelligent face, weighed down by a kind of heaviness or fatigue I'd seen before in some cops and soldiers people who'd seen too much for too long and were marked by it. When she shook my hand and smiled, it did brighten her face, but only slightly, and her eyes still looked serious and concerned. Do you want to order anything, or... I shook my head. I just want to know what you found. I jerked my thumb toward Jesse. He says you need to tell me yourself, and I really appreciate all the trouble you two are going through, but please just tell me what's going on. I let out a shuddering sigh as I leaned back in my chair on the outdoor patio. Please. Marissa nodded. I understand. So, okay. She held up one hand and started taking off the fingers. I took photos and liftings from the license in the glass. Now, bear in mind, none of these prints are perfect. Ideally, you'd like to have 12 or more points of similarity for a trial or something, but something more informal like this, I'd be happy with 10. Frowning, I leaned forward. So, it was her print on the license. She returned the frown. I'm getting to that. I just need to explain what I did so you know I'm not full of shit. I blinked. Uh, okay. She nodded. Okay. So I took the liftings and photos and then focused on the license at first, as that was the big question mark from what Jesse told me. I compared it against the prints on file when your wife got her license. It didn't appear to match. And then I ran it through IFIS. I A F I S. Then I ran it through IAFIS, which is a national database. No match there. There are other ways to check, but none that I have access to without raising a red flag and putting my own ass at risk. Marissa furrowed her brow. So then I checked the dirt print against the glass. I felt my mouth going dry. It matched, didn't it? She met my eyes, her expression, strange. Yeah, it did. So... Fuck. So the dirt license print matches her prints now, but not the ones from a few years ago? Is that possible? Can they change like that over time? Shaking her head, she took a big breath. Not, generally, no, and not with some kind of accident or surgery or something. I felt the terror building in my throat as I hissed out my next words. So she's, not, my wife. Jesse leaned forward. Just hold tight, man. Let her finish. I looked back at Marissa. I'm sorry. I, I just, I don't understand. She nodded. It's okay, I didn't either at first, but something bugged me, so I went back and looked at the three prints again. The ones from when she got her license, the dirt print on the physical license itself, and the ones you got on the glass. That's when I realized what I'd missed. Every fingerprint is unique, not just because of the different lines and whorls and ridges, but how they fit into the larger pattern of the print. How far one identifying point is from the next, and what angle the position the point is relative to the others, that kind of thing. That's why I didn't notice it at first. The print from the DNV and those from the dirt print on the glass are all identical. It's just the dirt print and the glass prints are reversed. I shifted my gaze between her and Jessie. What does that mean? Like, are they just upside down or something? Like, maybe she was just holding the license or glass weird? Marissa shook her head. No. It doesn't work like that. She grabbed a drink napkin as she pulled out a pen. Tearing the napkin in half, she drew a cross on each before writing the numbers 1 through 4 in the quarters made by the intersecting line. Okay. Imagine these are the four quadrants of a fingerprint. One, two, three, and four, right? And one has some unique points. So does two, so does three, so does four. This is like the record of your wife's prints from the DMV. This is our baseline, okay? I nodded. Yeah, okay. She moved to the other half of the napkin and redrew the numbers, swapping one and two on the top and three and four on the bottom, quarters of the cross. This is what I saw on the dirt print in the glass. The opposite of the first one. She rotated it upside down and slid it next to the first. Flipping it upside down doesn't make it match, because it's not an inversion of the old print. My hand had drifted to my mouth as I stared at the napkins. She was right. One said, One, two, three, four, left, right, top, to bottom. Inverted, the other said three, four, one, two. Read the same way. I looked back up at the woman. What is it then? It's a reflection. My mind raced as I made my way home. Jessie Marissa hadn't wanted me to leave until I calmed down, but I couldn't wait. Evan was home with that, with her, and whatever was going on, I was going to make sure he was out of the house and safe. And then I was going to go get answers once and for all. I skidded to a halt in the driveway and started taking the steps two at a time as I raced up the porch and fumbled to unlock the door. Through the door's glass, I saw the lights inside flicker, flare, and then go out. Pushing open the door, I paused, listening for any sound. At first, there was none. And closing the door behind me, I tried flipping the hall lights off and on. But nothing happened. Was the power out suddenly? Just then I heard a sound upstairs. A harsh, wet sound like gagging or retching. Running to the stairs, I started up, calling Evan's name. We're in here. It was Cody. It sounded like Cody's voice and was coming from Evan's room. Topping the stairs and rounding the corner, I saw her sitting next to him on the floor. His body was still heaving as another spasm of gagging hit him, his back shuddering and... Did he look larger than before? It didn't matter now. I needed to get into the hospital and away from... He vomited this time a grey burst of thick liquid pouring out across the floor and in the midst of that some darker heavier object the woman that looked like Cody was rubbing his back crooning something softly to him that at first I took his comfort but then I realized was praise that's a good boy I know it was hard but you did it you finally did it horrified I took a step into the room. What did you do to him? What is that? She didn't respond directly, but instead reached forward into the wet filth on the floor, fishing the solid object out with a slimy shake. Turning to me, her smile was wide and her eyes dancing as she held it up between us. It was a key. Get away from him. Her smile widened. What's wrong, honey? Stepping forward, I grabbed Evan under the armpits and started to pick him up. He even felt heavier and bigger than he had before. What is she? You're acting strange, and you're not taking my son anyway when you're like this. Her hand was suddenly on my arm, painfully tight and twisting my right hand away as I tried to pick Evan up. Grimacing, I yanked away my arm and gave her a shove. Stay the fuck away from me. You're not Cody. Glaring at her, I shook my head. I don't know who or what you are, but I know you're not her. Stop it, Steve. Don't hit me again. Leave us alone. Her voice had gotten louder and higher as she spoke, breaking into a tremendous falsetto. Her expression had ever changed from that mocking smile, her eyes dull, bright, and staring as she got to her feet. I stared at her. What the fuck? I didn't... The air was knocked out of me as she suddenly pushed me hard enough in the chest that I stumbled several steps back, and before I could recover, she shoved me again, this time sending me sprawling into the hall before slamming the door shut behind me. I caught myself against the far wall from falling and immediately went back to the door, but it was locked. Banging on it loudly, I yelled for her to open up and give me Evan. She didn't respond to me but I could hear her talking to someone on the other side of the door. My husband, he's gone crazy or something. I think he... Oh, God, I think he might hurt me or my little boy. Please hurry. Partial transcript of Miltry versus Miltry hearing on issues of temporary custody, temporary protective order, and modification of the family safety plan. Brown, plaintiff's attorney. Mr. Miltree, why do you think you should be allowed back into the home with my client and Evan? Because. uh, Because they're my family and I love them. We should be together. No one is doubting that you love them, but I think we're all concerned about what might happen if you're back home before it's safe. Before you're safe to be around. But I, I heard her, I I heard Cody say that she wanted me back home so long as I promised to keep taking the meds I've been prescribed and going to my court-ordered counseling. She said that this morning. Mm-hmm. She did. Because she loves you. But we also heard her recording of when you attacked her. And the judge there has to look at everything. Not just what she wants or what you want, but... What's best for both you and for your little boy? Mm Mm-hmm, she did. Because she loves you too. But we also heard her recording of when you attacked her. And the judge there has to look at everything. Not just what she wants or what you want. But what's best for both of you and for your little boy. I know that. But what's best for my boy is for me to be there for him. Let's talk about some of that. Your attorney kind of glossed over the details, but let's delve a bit deeper into why we're here. Because let's remember, two weeks ago, when 911 was called, you thought you were being there for Edward then, didn't you? His name is Evan. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Uh, Lots of clients. I misspoke. But you thought you were being there for him, didn't you? When you attacked your wife. I didn't... Look, I don't consider what I did an attack. I was just trying to leave the room with Evan because I was worried about what was going on. You were worried that your wife was some kind of imposter, right? Or maybe some kind of clone or monster. I... I've talked to the doctors about it and I understand... ...that I had what they're calling a psychotic break. It made me confused and paranoid and scared, so yes, I had weird thoughts and worries about her at the time, but I'm... I'm better now. Well, and we all hope you're better now. But this wasn't something that just popped up one day, was it? Uh, no. The doctor said that, and in fact... Objection, Your Honor, if my client can be allowed to finish his response. He was finished with his response and was about to launch into an inadmissible hearsay regarding what doctors told him. Overruled, but do let him explain his response if he can do so from his personal knowledge. Do you need to explain your answer further, Mr. Miltry? Evan wiped at his nose again, and as I watched, a small red beetle pushed its way out of his nostril. I let out a terrified scream and reached to brush it away, but it fell and scuttled off before I could catch it. Grabbing the boy's head, I turned this way and that, looking up his nose and into his ears. Evan, what was that? Do you feel anything else in you, sweetie? He just stared at me, smiling, his hand still absolutely but accurately drawing until I pushed the paper away. This turned his smile into a mild frown, but he said nothing at first. I held him, crying softly for a moment, trying to decide what to do, and then it was then that he pulled me closer and whispered into my ear. I feel it coming back again. Suddenly the lights went out, plunging the house into darkness. In my arms, it felt as though Evan's body changed, growing heavier and larger than just a second before. His skin felt cold now and though it was impossible I thought I could feel it stretching tighter under my hand what the fuck from the direction of the doorway I heard Cody's voice from across the dark I think it's time Evan continued to grow in my arms. My urge to hold on to him, to protect him, struggled against my growing fear and revulsion as I felt his body shift and expand, growing large and heavy enough to slide out of my grasp and thump softly to the floor. I started to reach out to him again, but something in me recoiled at the idea of touching him. With everything going on, could I even be sure this was my son anymore? So instead, I took a step back as a hissing orange glow blossomed out in the hallway. It was the thing that looked like Cody carrying a lit gas lantern into the room. The light cast shifting shadows as the lantern shifted and swayed with her steps, making the room and the woman look vaguely sinister in the ever-dancing dark. Meeting her eyes, I saw she was smiling at me. It's hard, isn't it? You may think I don't understand, but I do. You're confused, afraid, and part of you just wants to run away. Be safe. Another part of you feels guilty, though, because wouldn't you be abandoning your family? I wanted to deny what she was saying, but how could I? I glanced down at Evan, and what should have been Evan. The thing on the floor was naked and the size of a man, curled up in a kneeling rocking ball. Bending down to try and see the thing's face, I sucked into breath. It was all run together. The arms and legs weren't just folded up tight, but were flowing together like some kind of melted clay. I couldn't make out a face, but could this be human let alone my little boy heart hammering I took another step back and turned to glare at the creature that looked like Cody (laughs) what did you do with my son coming within a few feet she sat the lantern down on the floor and gave me a smirk that's your son there I shook my head that's a fucking lie that's a monster. You're both monsters. She shrugged. That's very subjective, you know. But your son is very special. Chosen, if you will. Chosen for what? She frowned slightly. Again, the answer to that will vary depending on who is asked. Some would call him an outsider. A monster to be hunted and killed. Others, an ascended being worthy of being worshipped. Those who put the seed of potential in him, well, they have other plans. But to me, he's just one thing. A way to escape. A means of survival. I stared at her. What does any of that mean? Who are you? Slipping her hand into her pocket, she pulled out something large and shiny. It took me a moment in the flickering light to recognize it. The key that Evan had thrown it before. It's easier to show you, I think. Time has come. Bending down swiftly, she drove the key into his neck. I started forward with a yell, but it was too late. The key had sunk bloodlessly into the thing she claimed was my son and was gone before I could reach them. Blinking and shaken, I stumbled back. What? What is this? This can't be real. Chuckling, she gave me a glance as she traced a large rectangle on the broad back of the now shuddering shape beneath her. (laughs) Reality is overrated, and it has very little to do with the true nature of things. My voice shook as I watched her finish the shape and step back. (laughs) What have you done? Her eyes found mine again. Found a door to my prison and turned the key new light flared to life, a thin but growing line of sickly green light that oozed from the line she'd drawn in the thing, in Evan's back. I felt my mind give a dangerous shudder as I took a step forward, attracted and repulsed by the impossibility before me. I was no longer looking at that strange, broad back or even abstracted lines of green, cancerous light. Now I was looking out onto a field of dying sunflowers lit by an orange and emerald sky. In the distance, I saw the dark, hulking shape of a house, fingers of smoke trailing off it as if though it had been through a fire, its skin dark gray and black of ash. I was so transfixed by the terrible place that it took me a moment before I registered the movement closer by a swift nodding and crumbling of sunflower heads as something crawled toward the open gateway. Letting out a startled cry, I stumbled back, even his long-fingered, pale hand pushed out of the opening and grasped at the thing on the floor's back. This was followed by a second hand and then a cold but beautiful grime-covered face. Not that of a woman, but of something less and more. It was a delicate precision and perfection to her features that was accentuated by the dirt and soot covering the naked form, pulling itself out onto the floor of the room, though I realized as I took it all in that some of the marks weren't dirt, but spiderwebs of cracks had some of the joints as well as the thing's lips and eyes. Those terrible eyes. They found me for a moment and then swung away to where Cody, the thing that looked like Cody, was kneeling down and extending her own hands as she spoke to me. It may be hard for you to understand, but this is... The two fingers reached over each other like a twin sides of reflection, intertwining their fingers. The speaking Cody thing gave a spasmodic shudder and then it was gone, a softer, deeper, feminine voice finishing the thought. Real me. She met my eyes as she finished pulling herself through the portal, and as she cleared it, the thing that once looked like my son gave a gasping shudder from somewhere inside, that running flesh, as the doorway closed and the back became his back once more. I glanced toward the door, my body tensing to run when I saw her shake her head slightly. No, not yet. I can't let you leave until this is finished. And I think you know... I can stop you. I trembled. I just want to go. Please, let me leave. A smile played at the corner of her lips, now free of cracks or blemishes. And abandon your child, she chuckled. (laughs) Or have you decided this isn't your son anymore? That is more convenient, isn't it? Glaring at her, I shook my head and pointed at the shivering shape on the floor. That thing can't be Evan. She gave a small shrug. As you like. Whatever you call him, he's exceedingly rare. Even among those who have the seed most never awaken to it. And to find one that can create a doorway... Usually... That happens once a generation, and the last one died just last year. She was an exceptionally talented little girl, but I couldn't find her in time. Escape, for me, only truly became an option more recently. Swallowing, I tried to weigh my options. I could try to run or fight her, but... I didn't doubt her ability to stop me. I could try talking to her, either to convince her to let me go or to turn Evan back or something, but what could I say to this monster that I didn't even understand? Lowering my eyes, I stepped back to the wall and slid down to the floor. All my bones felt too heavy now, and my mind felt fragile, brittle somehow. I should have just stayed quiet, but instead I heard myself asking something. What are you? There was a small sigh, and then, there's no real word for what I am or even what I was. I saw her rest her hand on the thing's back out of the corner of my eye, but there are a few minutes still before he can be of use again, so I don't mind telling you a small story. Perhaps it'll help you understand. When I said nothing, she began. Once there was a thing that looked like a man. He wasn't a man and hadn't always looked like one, but when I first saw him, he looked like an older gentleman named Richard Murphy. And I saw him for the first time the moment I was born. He'd fashioned me from a medical learning dummy, a mannequin, and brought me to life with a portion of the raw magic that he used and was. I think I began as a tool and experiment, but over time I became a companion, a servant. I loved him once before I knew him well. As I learned and grew, I became more real. I had my own ideas and drives and a hunger for more than I knew. For a time, I had a family. The man's granddaughter and her father became my responsibility, and in my way, I loved them even as I kept them in that prison of Richard's making. I was their guard, but I was also a prisoner myself, and I fulfilled both roles very well. But the thing that made me has many enemies, and some of those enemies, too weak to destroy him, sought to trap him instead. Even though he had taken the form of another, younger man, they found him and burned the house with all of us inside. I tried to get them out, but something kept us bound to that place, no matter how hard I tried to escape. I'd watch the girl I'd come to think of my own, cook, to death in front of me. Seeing that, I wanted to die too, but no. My maker is too clever. He could not pull us out, so he pulled everything, including the house, somewhere outside the world. Dreamed us a small dream filled with sky and earth and sunflowers while he made his plans to be free again. He's terribly smart and patient and in time he got exactly what he wanted. A beautiful lark that gave him the power to escape that place once and for all. Despite the strangeness of my nature, I'm in many ways my father's daughter. I've known for some time that he would abandon me in a moment if it suited his needs, and so I've worked to find a way to free myself from not only that place, but from him and the leash that held me for as long as I'd been alive. When he would send me out into the world, I would learn what I could, touch what I could, gather those scraps of knowledge and power that he cast away because his own reservoirs of both were so great that it went unnoticed I tried various forms of suffering and sacrifice to gather enough magic to survive when I was left on my own mirrors, midnight rituals doppelgangers infiltrating a hundred lives and sowing seeds of terror and pain and death I've never had the same thirst for such things as my maker but I appreciate the power and utility and I will use them as I must to survive she pounded the things back I think it's ready using a delicate finger she began to trace the borders of a door across its flesh again this will end it I think he's just not as strong as the Emily girl was the mannequin frowned slightly this will be meaningless to you but I really don't have a choice if I stay here he'll just find me again I have to go where he won't follow Fuck you and your apologies. What have you done to Evan? Where's my wife? Her eyes flashed for a moment. Don't mistake my sympathy for regret. I'm not apologizing for what I've done, just explaining that your suffering, the suffering of your family, is necessary and not arbitrarily cruelty. I snorted. Just necessary cruelty. She smirked. Exactly. I needed Evan, needed time to prepare him, and I needed your fear and pain to feed me long enough to make this all possible, and for that I'm grateful. What did you do with my... Oh, God... His back opened again, and standing up slowly, I could see the edge of a chamber filled with black and crimson marble. I glanced at the mannequin and saw a troubled expression on her face. Was that fear? What is it? She looked at me with a frown. Not where I expected to enter, but I don't have the time or energy to try again. The mound of flesh holding the portal was starting to shift and collapse, even as she said that last eyes widening, she lunged forward and began to crawl through the doorway. Something flared up in me, some combination of insane anger and fear. No, she wasn't going to leave like this. Take everything from me, destroy my family and just escape? I dove at her, grabbing her legs even as she began to pull them through the gateway and onto the dark marble floor. Tell me where my family is. Where is Cody? She kicked me off easily, sending me sliding across the floor with white-hot chest pain that left me gasping as I tried to crawl back to her. Fully in that other place, she looked out at me for a moment, her expression slightly sad. Go to where the accident happened, into the woods there. Look for water where there shouldn't be none. A deep voice intoned from that other place, making the woman thing jump. Welcome to the nightlands. I'm called the Baron. What are you called? She turned and stood gracefully, offering a strange bow. She never showed any sign of her self-consciousness in her nakedness since crawling out of that other place, but now she looked not only embarrassed but terrified. I am And then the door was gone, the thing that might have once been my son sinking into a spasming pile of ruined meat that began to split and ooze as I looked on in silent horror. I stared at his remains for a few minutes, not quite daring to touch them but afraid to look away, telling myself over and over that it was not him and never quite convincing myself. When I finally made myself move, I didn't stop moving. I ran outside, got into the car, and began driving to where Cody hit a tree. I called Jesse, asked him for directions out to the exact place he'd found the car. He didn't ask why, but he didn't ask if I was okay. I didn't know what to tell him, so I told him the truth. No, I wasn't okay, but I needed to see where it all happened. He offered to come meet me out there, but I told him no. It was something I needed to do by myself. His directions were good, and I found the spot fairly easily. There was the tree at the edge of the road, just like she'd said. Drove into a ditch. Hit a tree. Fucking stupid. Think a tire blew out. About to get out and check the car, and then call a wrecker. I am okay. Call in a bit. I love you. My stomach twisted, growing cold as I saw the small pieces of dark mud scattered around nearby. They stood out in sharp relief from the normal dirt in the area, and as I looked around for more, I saw a faint but perceptible trail of the strange filth leading back into the woods. But why? Had something come out of the woods, or had Cody gone in for some reason? Why would she? I think I see me. Oh, God. I follow the trail of black earth back through the trees. There were a couple of times I almost lost sight of it in the shadows, but then I saw it again to continue on. Minutes pass as my breath becomes more labored and my heartbeat tightens into the steady rhythm of my growing terror and dread. What am I going to find out here? Her alive and safe? Just asleep? Of course not. I'll find nothing. Or worse. And I'd be better off if... The trail led to a giant dead tree. The roots of the tree were massive, reaching far out of the ground and elevating the bottom of the trunk three feet or more off the ground. I had the thought that maybe it was caused by a massive erosion, but I dismissed the idea swiftly. This wasn't a normal tree. It, None of it was right and somehow I knew the trail ended there. Barely able to breathe, I took out my phone and shakily turned on its light before heading between the roots of the tree. The interclocked network of wood and leaves had gaps big enough to pass through and underneath there was an open space of at least three feet tall and ten feet across. Nothing but sandy dirt, punctuated by small piles of the darker stuff. No signs of Cody or that she'd been there at all, just bare dirt. and. The thought fled as water hit my hand. I looked up into Cody's staring gray face. She was floating in water, a massive pool somehow floating against the ceiling to the bottom chamber of the tree. I barely even registered the impossibility of what I was seeing anymore. All I saw was her, and I drove my hands upward, plunging into the warm water, and I found there, placing my palms against her cold cheeks. I already knew she was dead. How could she not be dead after all? This wasn't about saving her, it was about not abandoning her in some strange, dark place where that other thing had left her. Pulling her forward, she came without resistance. Water running down my arms before finally bursting, sending Cody falling the rest of the way into my arms. I think I was crying by that point, but everything was wet and painful, and all I could do was rock her in my arms to try and keep this memory of the last time I had or did anything that would matter. I'd get her out of this place, and after that, I didn't care what... Steve... I blinked and looked down to see Cody looking up at me. Oh, God, Cody, can can you hear me? She coughed wetly and gave a small nod. Yeah, I, I, I just... I feel weird. Was I drowning? Sobbing, I gave her a hug. I think, maybe so. But I've got you now. I've got you. That was three days ago. Cody's coming home from the hospital tomorrow. Aside from some water in her lungs and slight signs of malnutrition, they can't find anything much wrong with her. Even her memory is intact. For the most part, at least. I asked her that first night about what happened after the accident. She said she remembers texting me the first time and then calling for a tow truck. She just hung up with them when she thought she saw someone looking at her from behind a tree. Cody stopped there for a minute, the look of bewildered fear coming to her face at that memory. I think she looked like me. I nodded. You texted me something like that. She frowned. I don't remember that really, but I remember getting out and calling to her and then something about her making me very afraid. Wait, there was a man. A man had come up in a truck and suddenly that woman, she was naked. She'd run past me. I think she heard him. I remember hearing him scream. Tears sprang to her eyes. I was so scared. I tried to get back in the car but she came in through the window. I think she, she stuck her hand down my mouth. I don't know. I just remember knowing I was going to die and never see you or Evan And then everything was gone. I went and sat next to her, rubbing her shaking shoulders. Did that really happen? I tell her parts over the next three days. About what happened, how much time had passed. About the things that had looked like her was gone, and as far as I knew, so was our son. I kept expecting her to get angry at me. Accused me of lying, hurting Evan or something else, but she never did. Last night, I finally asked her why. I think I was still connected to her somehow. She was using parts of me to make the thing that pretended to be me and that let me, I don't know, dream parts of what was happening. Enough to know that what you said happened is true. She buried her face into her hands. Enough to know I don't want to remember any more than I already do. I stopped asking questions after that. Tomorrow, we leave here, but we don't really go home. I've already reported Evan missing and given my statement to police. I've also gone and packed up some things, and we're going to be living in a rental until we find a new place. Too many memories and bad things are tied to that house, and if we're ever going to be happy again, we need a fresh start. It may sound like we're running away, and I guess we are, but we need a way to escape. To forget. And by forgetting, maybe survive. And if we're lucky, the things that haunt us will never find us again. Hey everyone, I know I haven't spoken to you at the end of a video in a little while, but um, some of you may have picked up on the fact that this is connected to a bunch of other stories by Brandon. If you're interested in figuring out what those stories are, a, a link to every part of this story on Reddit will be down below, and in that there will be hyperlinks within those stories that tell you which stories are connected to this story. If you want to know more about the entire Outsiders universe, I do have a couple of stories I've narrated on here. The main one being, I think my grandfather might be a serial killer. If you want to do some reading on your own, a link to Brandon's Amazon, where you can find all of his books, will also be linked down in the description below, underneath the author links section. So, huge, huge shout out to Brandon. Such an incredible writer, and I know you guys really love him. I love his work as well. Go down there, check out his work, show him some love, and as always, stay safe out there.